Well, hello and welcome to another episode of the New Ground Life and Leadership podcast. Now, before we dive into today's conversation, we here at New Ground would love to invite you and the people in your church to consider joining our exciting leadership training school, The Academy. Here's friend of the show, Simon Elliott, to tell us more. The world is very intentional about training our people. We need to be intentional about raising leaders and Academy helps us do that. The aim of Academy is to take leaders through a two-year program to give them a thorough biblical foundation to raise their eyes and raise their heads and show them some of the challenges of leadership and equip them emotionally and in their character to handle those challenges, to build relationships between one another and between them and God. Through nine Thursday nights and nine Saturdays each year for two years, we will give you great material. That releases you to not worry about planning lots of stuff or creating lots of stuff. It releases you to pray for your leaders, to pray with your leaders, to build relationship and accountability with the leaders you're training. Academy will be brilliant for people who are already leading but it's also great for not yet leaders. We need to raise up a generation of leaders from our 18 to 25 year olds. So we want to encourage churches to look at that bracket. Look at your 18 to 25s, your students, those just back from university, those starting their first job. Look at those people. They might not be leading anything yet, but they could. And two years on Academy would do them so much good. And in two years, maybe you would have an overflow of leaders in your local church. We love you to partner with us on Academy. Go to the New Ground website. You'll find all the details there and you can sign up and pay and be joining us in September of 2023. Thanks, Simon. To find out more, go to the New Ground website, which is www.newgroundchurches.org forward slash academy. Now, today's conversation. Well, today's conversation is a provocative one. At least I hope it is. It's one that looks at the importance of church as an intergenerational community made up of old and young. It's a conversation then that invites us to consider and look at, reflect how we're all doing at discipling the children and young people in our churches. I spoke to James Archer and Rachel Turner from CYM, a UK-based training institute for children, youth and mission. Rachel is the founder of Parenting for Faith, the creator of the Parenting for Faith course and the author of 10 books on faith, family and ministry to children. James is a trained teacher, a former education advisor and university lecturer and currently is the CEO of CYM. Links to some of the books that we discuss and information about the Institute for Children, Youth and Mission, as well as information about how you can engage with some of the modules and training that they offer. All of that is available in the description to today's episode. So do go there if you're interested in finding out more. We're going to dive into the conversation at the point that James is sharing his reflections on the state of and various approaches to children's ministry or ministry to children as he observes it in the UK. I hope you enjoy it. Wow. Um, (laughs) 
Big, big question. I think there are lots of different models at play as well. And I think one of the things that is beautiful is um, when you come into contact with somebody and talk children's ministry, you realise about 15 minutes into the conversation that you're talking about something very, very different. And so what you have to, often have to do is deconstruct actually what is it that you're talking about. Um, uh, I think some people would talk about children's and family ministry. Some people might just talk about ministry because we might just see um a family unit um as church and and not dis uh, uh discriminate between kind of age um boundaries so that there's lots and lots of different practice out there there is a model that's kind of been established for a, a good couple of hundred years which is the sunday school model which is actually the predominant model of ministry to children on a Sunday, which includes separation often, but um, that doesn't happen everywhere. And I think that's something that's really important. So um, there's quite a, a lot of denominations that are exploring intergenerational ministry. And some, again, there's a spectrum of practice there from an action song through to a a commitment to genuinely entangling lives together, regardless of age. And so I think there isn't one model. There is probably a, a dominant model, which is that Sunday school um, uh, which model, which is often feels like it's connected with knowledge exchange or knowledge knowledge transfer i've i've got some knowledge about the bible uh, we're going to learn about this uh, man or woman from the bible and we're telling their story because we talk about bible stories which is really interesting because there is a whole story but actually the bible isn't just stories as well which i think is really interesting when you come to teach something um as a sunday school worker and you're like oh this isn't a story <laughs> how do i engage with this because this is a different type of text um um but the sunday school model often involves games and crafts and I sit somewhere particularly uh, with crafts where I'm uh, probably a little bit anti-craft. I think I've probably OD'd on paper plates um, and, and, and therefore um, I'm not entirely convinced that um, craft um, A blesses the parent who has to find somewhere to put it at the end of the week, B actually connects the child with um, Jesus 100% of the time. Um, I think there are moments when we're crafting where people can connect with Father God, but I also think there are, are times um, when they actually it's more about filling the activity. So for me, relationship and talk are the two foundational principles of what good quality children's ministry looks like. And then the mode or the method in which you um, try to cultivate that it, it is... Um, um, entirely up to you and it's probably context specific because there there are uh, the joy of the the contextual theology uh, how is god calling us as a local people to reach children and young people i think is really important so um but i think if we were brutally honest that not a great deal of um time from a senior leadership perspective is often spent about uh, considering how are we uh, actually raising the next generation or how are we discipling children and young people and how are we supporting um, 
uh, families as a whole to engage in that discipleship? Is it um, up to those 50 hours uh, across the year for a child to gain their entire uh, church experience minus the holidays that they take throughout the year? Or is there another place in which the child can be supported to live a life of faith and be uh, supported to engage? Um, Rachel has this um, uh, God connected and uh, and God smart principle that actually we can we can develop our knowledge, um, uh, uh, um, but actually, are are we actually God connected at all? I kind of would take that little bit back a couple of hundred years to a guy called Pastor Lozi and I would think about the child's spiritual hands, heart and head. Um, and so what can, what is it the child's learning? How is their relationship? How are they connecting with God in their heart? But also what skills are they um, uh uh, developing and I think for me it's really important that we think about those kind of spiritual muscles um how how are we equipping these children because um the the places in which they go and where they live their life are tough I think kind of human existence has always been tough but it's tough particularly if you don't have any spiritual muscles and so how are we helping that child grow holistically in across those kind of boundaries of head heart and hand and I think predominantly um, most modes of children's ministry sit comfortably in head, um, but heart and hands are often um, not necessarily an afterthought, but um, are they're definitely tr- the trickier ones to do. And, and I think it's because they require relationship and talk uh, and they need dialogue rather than monologue and so we need to move into a kind of dialogic practice rather than monologic I will read you a story and I will tell you what it means we need to be question askers and I love the way that you started um saying that you've got lots of questions because I think that's where children are too I don't think we often start with the questions that children have but I think that would be where I would start great I mean so there's, a, there's a lot there already into but I guess it to kind of as I understand it then you're saying that there's a, a broad range a broad spectrum across the UK of the way that churches think about children's ministry however your observation is that you don't believe that the majority of senior leaders give much thought or time to the spiritual formation of their children perhaps by and large which is a big challenge and a, a kind of a, a a big thing just to lay there yeah yeah and I think generally that's been my experience the senior leaders don't necessarily give a significant amount of time and leadership time and energy to thinking through the spiritual formation of their children but then you also critique actually the method and approach to discipling young people is often perhaps a little bit too just transferring of information to someone's head rather than considering the, the person holistically um and I, I love well, there's lots there we want to pick up about development of spiritual muscles and things um now rachel i know you travel the country speaking at different conferences and have no doubt seen lots of different uh, expressions of children's work and ministry in different settings um are you encouraged concerned worried hopeful about what you see by and large across the uk with the way that uh, Christians are thinking about discipling the next generation of young people. I think I'm always encouraged because for me, I always see more and more people becoming interested in what's going on. 
and um, and and I see the heart behind it. And so for me, sometimes we can bemoan the practice, um, but sometimes you pick up that practice just because that's what you've always done, or that's what the model that you see most, or the first thing you Google is a craft. And so you think, aha, this is what I should do. And what I, I think is really important, what's happening now in the country is we're really beginning to look at how to disciple children and young people, uh, around the wholeness of who they are. It's not just how do we deliver a great one hour on a Sunday because children's discipleship was never meant to center on a church service. That is never biblically the way that children were designed to be discipled. And so we're beginning to move away from how do we make this hour great? And we're moving into how do we take seriously the spiritual life of a child and young person? And how do we impress help them individually connect with God? How do we support their parents to walk alongside them in the ordinary every day? How do we become a church that integrates them well so that they are the church of now, both in participating in relationships, participating in service, participating in mission? And we're beginning to say these are full disciples called to fully live according to Jesus' principles, and we as a church cannot be who we're called to be without them. So how do we do that well? And that's the conversation we're having and that's the, the equipping that we're having. And so um, I don't bemoan it. I want more people to embrace it and more people uh, to step into what's possible because we all share the same heart, which is seeing a kid walk alongside God for a lifetime. And uh, the more tools we can give them to see that fruit now, the more I think we're going to see beautiful mm, things. That's really helpful and, and encouraging. Just uh, one thing, maybe as a kind of starting place, there may be some not resistance but maybe some questions in people's minds when it comes to children and faith generally um because we all know kids are susceptible to you know like adults really susceptible to believe whoever's got the coolest thing or whoever convinces them of the uses the most impressive persuasive techniques to convince them of something kids can be you know you can convince a child to put their hand up for jesus or for for sweets or for anything so what just kind of lay for us uh, some foundations or evidences or just examples of how you've seen children from a young age having a meaningful relationship with Jesus and even what that looks like as distinct perhaps from adult faith. Any comments on that, either of you? I think one of the importance, like you're talking there about the kind of pros propositional gospel type um, method, um, potentially, which is again, kind of one of those core tenets of the, the the historic Sunday school uh, model. Um, I think if you take a a more explorative approach with children, then um, the, the the greater the authenticity of faith. Um, we're involved in a church plan, um, a catalyst church plan in Bradford, and we're using the di uh, disciple making movement, uh, discovery Bible studies, and so we're wholly intergenerational. If uh, or intergen as the cool kids. Um, <laughs> cooler and through that where actually you've got the discovery bible study that asks um me to respond to the scripture so you've got um core questions there's seven questions um that make up the whole four core questions that actually ask me to respond um and when the child's asked to respond um to a question that says something like what does this tell me about god what does this tell me about me um if this is God's word, what am I going to do with it? It's amazing the kind of responses that we have. And I think for 
my children particularly going through this they are reading more bible than they ever have done before we don't print out coloring sheets we don't have crafts we don't really um uh, we're not highly sensory we're at talk based they're in a room where actually reflection on the bible is happening and and being in a community that is reflecting on god's word together rather than having knowledge just kind of transferred from one individual they're seeing that actually everybody around them is grappling with what god's word says but they're thinking about who they can share it with and how they're going to apply it personally to them and their lives and their situation so um, one of the responses um, as a, a result of reading about Jesus getting baptised, um, uh, my two oldest were like, I think, I think actually, I, I know that I'm not baptised. So um, if, I've said, if I'm saying that I'm a follower of Jesus, and then maybe I should be exploring baptism. So hopefully when it warms up and in the garden, we will uh, be doing some baptisms uh, this summer. And I think um that that is the really important thing like you can present the gospel in many many different ways and there are some brilliant resources to present a gospel message but talk and questioning and enabling the child to explore for themselves supported in a community of believers i believe is the the most authentic way to support and nurture faith mm. Right, you have some of your thoughts on that. I think it's really easy, and this has happened for quite a while, that we idealize children's faith. And so we sort of say, oh, children have easier faith or they, you know, they're more innocent. And those people tend to have not worked with children for very long because children are brutal. I mean, if they are, if your logic is flawed in any way, they are on it. And, uh, and you can tell stories from your life and they're like, well, it doesn't happen in mine. And they'll shut you down harder than anything. And so I, I think we tend to, to idealize what we think children's faith is as if they have it easier or as if they just naturally follow along. I think you're right in what you said that, that we can sort of manipulate children into raising their hand for sweets or anything, but that doesn't mean we're actually seeing heart change. And so to me, that, that, that means we can get their conformity in a room, but that doesn't mean we're actually discipling their relationship with Jesus. And so that's, that's the call on us is to say, these are full disciples now, and so how do we walk alongside them in their faith? And so for me, it's, it is about empowering their voice um, and helping them authentically talk with God. I was working with some kids and their families on uh, chatting to God. We call it, I call it chatting because it just gets around to the entire, everyone's baggage around the word prayer. I'm lazy. So we get around the word prayer and I just call it chatting to God. And um, there was a child who had suffered real trauma, foster child. Uh, real trauma four-year-old wouldn't talk to anybody about it wasn't talking to the therapist about it and uh, they had one of those baby monitor things in the room and uh, the parents would see the kid regularly he'd set up a little table with tea and uh, would play cars and drink tea and would talk and they could hear him talking and then when they turned up the monitor they could hear that he was talking to Jesus about his life and what happened and how he feels about his dad and uh, it was this really powerful thing that that for a child who couldn't talk to anybody about the trauma he'd suffered, he talked to the God who had been with him in those times. And when it was time for the child to go to his forever family and get adopted, um, the kid said, don't worry about it because Jesus was here with me now and he's going to go with me. And so I'll always talk to Jesus. I'll have Jesus always. And there's something really powerful about giving a child a full relationship with God and understanding who he is in God's eyes and where God is and that whole process. And so you, you see that 
that realness and the need because our kids live complex lives. And so you can see that with a four-year-old. I was talking to a nine-year-old who was getting bullied and uh, we were doing some prayer ministry and uh, she began to really feel a burden for the person who was being cruel to her and who was attacking her. And she asked God for pictures of what that that child's life was like. And God gave her a picture of this girl laying on the ground bleeding and her family laughing at her. And so she was like, she just started interceding for this child who had targeted her and was attempting to really just tear at the heart of how she sees herself. And instead this kid was praying for her and interceding for her because she saw her the way Jesus saw her. And and to me, that is that is this the joy of walking alongside God is they have these full needing lives of a God who walks alongside of them and to live a discipled life that causes them to flourish. And they need that now. And uh, we need to help them find that now. But also to me, walking alongside those kids, I as an adult need that encouragement. How often do I intercede for people or colleagues or people that I run into who are deliberately targeting me? And uh, how often do I sit around and say, I need to chat with Jesus over tea about the stuff that really matters? Uh, there's some really important things that we can learn, not because they're children, but because they're disciples. And uh, we need their stories just like they need ours. Mm, that's really good. And of course, it's a, it's a kind of slightly unfair question. In it, it, we, we all know it's just as easy to manipulate an adult behavior into behavioral com conformance mm -hmm. conforming to a particular social norm and you see this in church all the time you know it's just that young people are often not quite as good at hiding it as adults are um our goal is to make disciples of people and that is it's always going to be hard to measure exactly what that looks like because so much of it is an internal disposition towards god and a private cultivating of life with god and when it is too manifestly public then actually jesus is quite critical of that it's like well just be careful of that because you're doing that for people or for god and it's, that's the, the dynamic we face not just with children but with adults as well um james i mean you i, I love some of the kind of grenades and stuff that you're throwing out as well and you're you're critique of um, different approaches to children's ministry but you're quite you're quite big on and keen on the idea of seeing the importance of children as valid members of the church family rather than just a kind of a babysitting community that we have to kind of tolerate while the adults have their lecture um, talk to us a bit more about your philosophy of how you think churches ought to think about children within their community I think for me like the first step is actually having a conversation about it kind of at, at church level senior leadership level like um uh, what where does the child sit um and what is our and do, do we have a theology of childhood in place do we actually um do we understand childhood is actually uh, as in terms of a construct is a relatively new one now we we have the uh, victorian to thank uh, for that and so uh, um before that there was kind of old and young um, uh, um but childhood and childhood innocence as rachel alluded to is a really relatively young uh, uh concept but if we um are are there in thinking actually childhood is separate and different kind of what is our theology of childhood um 
I I love liberation theology, um, and I, I identify with those Jesuits um, from South America that are talking about oppression and the poor, because I, I, a lot of my reading, research and writing has kind of said, actually, it, it's the child within um, the contemporary church um, uh, and oppressed people group. Uh, some people will automatically turn off as soon as they hear that um, but I, I question uh, that and wonder actually whether that child is an oppressed people group. And some of my um, thinking in and around that is, does the child have full participatory rights into the church community? Or is childhood a phase which they have to graduate from in order to get full access, full participatory rights? Can, if you um, hold membership as an ideal, can a child become a member of your church? Or does the child need to be 16 or above uh, to be a member of your church? And what does that say um, to the child? Uh, and and for me... Um, liberating the child is um, listening to the child's voice and giving it agency enabling the child to act within the um church setting and i think it can be really simple uh, in actually saying that we're all going to talk about things together <laughs> uh, and we, that then the child has full access because if actually we've got a talk-based um church model and the child is allowed to, to do that the child has access but actually if any time the child has to ask permission or is separated off uh, to enable something else to happen then potentially the child hasn't got full participatory rights there are legitimate reasons why people might say, actually, I, I do believe childhood should be separate and that, that actually uh, uh, a child should grow in the ways of the, uh, ways of the Lord. It kind of talk, there's kind of a whole load of Old Testament scripture that we could talk about training and uh, developing. But one of my questions is, how come the adult who becomes a new convert in their 40s almost instantly gets those full participatory rights but that child who's done 10 15 years <laughs> has to wait until a number to get full access and um, to participate within the church and so i don't think anybody has to believe what i believe about children and children's role within um the church but i do think we need to have honest and frank conversations about that helen um Oh, I can't remember her surname now, but it will probably come to me. She, she talks about the four voices of theology. She talks about the espoused and the operant. So what we say um, is that what we say the same as what we do. And often uh, in church, we're very good at saying what we believe. But actually, the things that we do, our theology and action is different. So if we say that everybody's invited to the table, uh, <laughs> but actually there are quite a few churches that the child isn't invited to take part into communion until that there's been a route to access, for example. So um, it's what we say, uh, what we believe, actually what we do. And um, is the child uh, and childhood something that we have to grow out of? Or if Jesus was really interested in children and suggesting that we should become more like them, is there something that we should be learning from? And is, is there a place of potential repentance there? It is a lot of, is a lot of that what you just shared there, just a reflection on how we think about the household, that uh, we, we talk about age of, you know, age of adulthood and the responsibility, children remain the responsibility of their parents. It's not that we're excluding children, but recognising 
an established authority structure in the home, which I know in an individualistic, heavily egalitarian society like ours, this feels like the natural next step along this kind of journey. But uh, but I would, I would suspect that that's the reason why children and obviously the Apostle Paul's re- restrictions around non-believers and the communion meal and etc. Yeah, I, I think what's interesting to me is that a, a child can often prese- profess um, belief but be restricted from communion. Um, and I think that that was the situation that I was talking about, not not a, a child as a non-believer um, accessing communion, but actually um with within the gathered church there can be barriers for the child to access communion and how many times do we um take part in communion within the 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 children's groups um uh, and and why is that um uh is one of my questions so actually is it something that we don't believe is for for children um and again we we might sit down and get down to that point and say actually no we don't we don't think um that until you are 16 18 20 you can have an authentic relationship with jesus but um i think one of the challenges um as i've been thinking about the child and childhood is actually is there anything that we are as church are just doing because we've always done it that blocks or stops halts or hinders a child's relationship with jesus and i think there are um and i think a lot of that is because we actually don't have a localised um, theology of childhood. We just do it. Mm. Um, that's very helpful. I mean, there's so much in there that you've you've said that's really thought-provoking. Rachel, what are some of your comments? I, I, I agree with James, but I, I also think that we often don't just see the children as disciples. Because even if you take the basic thing, if you ask any church leader, what is your discipleship plan for adults? They have a really well thought out thing. They're like, you know, we want people to come in. We want them to start serving immediately so that they can integrate because it's about belonging and it's about welcome. We want them to join a small group where they can consistently be vulnerable with people. They have this full plan for it because they say for an individual disciple of Jesus, this is what we think they need to do. They need to come in. They need to get in relationship with people. They need to serve. They need to cultivate. And they absent children from that process and they go and for kids we have a room where they can have a good time and and hear about jesus and maybe pray and they don't even apply the basic just principle of discipleship journey and say our our discipleship journey for everybody is that you come in you serve you integrate you find a small group of people that you can be vulnerable with just that process we don't say we want that for everybody in our church this is what we believe a disciple does we say this is what adults do and then children might be different and i don't know and what activities can we do to get them in and we treat them as a completely different being and they're not they're they're disciples too who need to serve and who need to be in intergenerational relationships and need to be what everybody else does. So even just as church leaders to consider that in church leadership, we are called to every individual within our church. And we consider that they need the fullness of discipleship in the way that everybody does. Uh, I think that would change our practice a lot uh, because I don't think when it, when rubber hits the road, I'm an anthropologist. And so in anthropology terms, we have ideal culture and real culture in the way that James was describing. And I don't think when rubber hits the road that we actually consider children disciples um, because we certainly don't treat them like that. 
and uh, and that was the big challenge for me. Wow, that's really helpful. And and this isn't just like a an interesting discussion around children's ministry. There's a crisis facing facing the Western Church, isn't there? That fifty percent of children raised in Christian homes don't continue. Uh, only yeah, only fifty percent continue their faith into adulthood. And the church's response to that, by and large, has been, uh, let's employ a children's worker and yep. let's put on some more games, um, which I, I'd love to hear your reflections on that stat and the general crisis facing the church in the West and what you think the church should be doing to wake up and face that reality. Well, I think there's two things in this. Um, one thing is that uh, for since the beginning of time, we've been intergenerational in terms of our faith development of families. So from the very beginning, there wasn't a children's ministry strand to the Exodus. You know, we just all left. And so th through all of history, it's been intergenerational faith formation. It's been families living together. It's been a child within a family who has been passionate about God and deliberate about discipling their child within a faith community that fully integrated children into the faith experiences. Uh, it's how God decided it. Paul was writing to churches assuming that children were in the room. When he speaks, children obey your parents. It's because he assumed that children were in the room when it was happening. Uh, Jesus was preaching intergenerationally. And it was only when, as James spoke a couple of hundred years ago, where we started Sunday schools, but those started in the afternoons. Uh, it wasn't until the 1940s, 50s, that Sunday school moved en masse to the mornings. And that's when the sort of, James, you jump in if I'm saying things wrong. No, no, no. I, I was going to say that it was also uh, the Sunday school movement um, was birthed out of meeting the needs of people that weren't already going to church. Uh, it was actually, how can I share something of Jesus to somebody who needs something to do, a child who needs something to do, who isn't accessing this, but obviously... Um, schooling is such a loaded word anyway. Um, and I think it's um, possibly the route in which we need to kind of, are we schooling these children? Are we discipling them? And I think that's probably part of where the the crux of the problem lives because actually uh, discipleship it just goes so much deeper than the surface level of the exactly because when it started it was it was also for education purposes because those kids were in factories and they couldn't go to school so it was a sort of social evangelistic outreach thing and primarily kids who weren't already attending with their families in church that was all intergenerational so by the time it moves in the morning that was when we switched from it being a primary evangelistic thing to siphoning off children from the intergenerational experience. And so that's when we began to lose the skill of talking about faith with each other and lose the skill of discipling those around us and lose the skill of doing faith side by side. We began to silo us out. It became a specialism and it became something that we needed to focus on differently. And so we're now two or three generations down the line of older generations not knowing how to talk to younger generations about faith, the expertizing of children's spirituality and youth spirituality, and then learning parenting has been completely radicalized since the 1940s in terms of expertized. You know, now we have all these books and how you're supposed to do it, and we've stopped learning how to parent from living next to your mom and down the road from your gran and learning how to parent. We're all learning how to parent sort of new and fresh and innovating it, which means we've lost the skill of 
how do I parent my kid for faith? Because this is how I was parented for faith. And this is how my great grandma parented my mom for faith. And we begin to lose that. And so um, we fractured. And so when I'm looking at 50% of, of Christian kids don't continue on in their faith, what I see is the breakdown of the way that discipleship was always meant to be. It's parents confidently and proactively discipling their kids when you talk to most parents where they're afraid or they're worried or they're like i'm new to faith i don't know how to do this or i don't want to shove it down their throat and so trying to develop this confidence and skill again in parents of how to walk alongside their kids and disciple them in the ordinary every day not necessarily feeling like they have to do devotionals or do church at home which has become the new model but how do we help them actually side-by-side side disciple their kids? And how do we re-empower congregations to be that intergenerational side-by-side side community? Not a lot of older generation feel like they can walk up to four 13-year-old girls and know how to have a conversation or feel like they would have anything to input into them. And we have younger generations desperate for older people to see them, know them, love them, um, walk alongside of them and we have older generations who feel like they're useless and unneeded um, because we've siphoned off into these generations and so I, I look at that stat and I say yeah that's what that's what happens when the discipleship model falls apart we all need that kind of um, surroundings around us to flourish I think yeah. is it what's been really interesting is the specialist has been um, uh, a lay mm. leader often um not uh, we might kind of say the children's worker um could be a deacon um and there's a deacon level ministry um uh, uh so we kind of say we 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 know that we need somebody who actually has a real real heart and gifting for children young people family um stuff but we place them almost on the next tier down or the tier down below that and i think um, where the specialist sits, if you want to affect change and if you want to grow as an entire community, is that actually you've got to think about your leadership structure as a church leadership and ask yourself, where is the uh, children's young people specialist sat um, and are they in the room? Um, but, uh, I mean, uh, that often the um, the children's worker, employed or not, 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 is often the <laughs> the the prophet uh, remem reminding you to uh, remember the ch children because yes. they they can be the other half of the church remember remember the children, um, but if they're not in the room, uh, <laughs> they can't make uh, make that call. So actually, where do we where do we think leadership of children sits? Is it if you you have an eldership structure? Is it an eldership responsibility, children and uh, young people? Is it a, an eldership role? And does it require a token elder uh, who, who has the role and then has uh, somebody uh, underneath them that they pass stuff down? Or actually, is there somebody who actually, who uh, in quite a lot of uh, our churches, it can be 50% of the congregation. Is it somebody who's actually taking that responsibility for that sizable chunk of the congregation? Uh, I think when we met last time, Jess, I was like, it's often your your largest unreached people group as well as a church. And so um, if, if the person who's leading that 
isn't involved at, at a senior level, um, I guess my question would be, why is that? And what impact do you think that might be having? Yeah, and I think, of course, the reality is another another stat is that 92% of adult churchgoers say that they attended church occasionally as children. So almost everybody in church as an adult is there because they had some faith involvement as a child. And so if as, if as church leaders we're interested in reaching lost people, well, we better invest in our youth work and our children's work. And it's investing in that. Even that language is like, uh, it's the language of we need to hire a staff member or we need to do put on some good programs for them. Whereas I really like all that you're, you guys are saying because it's, it's just a lot more provocative than that. It's like, no, no, we need an entirely new way of conceiving of who we are as the people of God. And actually, like, just the, the reflection, I think, on how churches have, change in their approach to children is probably would you say a reflection on how society's changed with the way that it thinks about children uh, only i was talking to someone recently who who was quoting to me pope john paul ii's essay about a culture of death that in the west we're a culture of death we don't value life we want everything neat and orderly and tidy we don't like dysfunction or mess or just yeah and, and children by by their very nature are lively and full of energy they don't fit our boxes and we despise that generally as a society is what pope john paul says i think um and then by and large the, the church then just kind of mirrors well this is how the society feels about and treats children therefore that's how we'll arrange our gatherings to reflect that um what are some of your thoughts on on even that statement the culture of death and children society's attitude towards children and the overspill into church <laughs> i think if i'm honest i think um is you often look back to help it's helpful for us to look back to look forward so i think there's been peaks and troughs of interest in child children and childhood over time and i think um if you were to look um potentially at um a post-war era, not not just as a um, from a church perspective, but from a society perspective, that actually kind of post World War Two, there are lots of people that are going. We need to focus on the young and young people and grow a whole new generation, and with a new mindset that says that this can never happen again. So you have people like the wonderful Maria Montessori, who's um, working in the slums of Italy, um, trying to work out actually what does it look like to actually be in that child's world and support the child um, and study the child, observe the child to see how I can actually be the, the person that facilitates them. I'm not going to just give program to you. I'm going to actually understand you and watch you and be part of your journey so that I can work out what your next steps are. And I think that with any culture or any society that there are often moments of affluence that um, mean that you um, uh, potentially the pressures um, become less um, uh, and I think there probably will come, up, come a time again where actually there will be a time where we say actually we need another generation that's wholly different from what's gone before it. And uh, part of my kind of regular prayer is <laughs> make that time now that we would have that sense of urgency. Society, again, I think is hard to generalise about um, how, how society views ch children and childhood. But I think there is a greater awareness of individuality. 
um, uh, out there um, that I think is health, healthy and helpful when we try and understand uh, childhood. So I think there is a greater interest in understanding um, an individual um, and what makes them tick than um, ever has done before, I think. And there's a greater awareness of being vulnerable. Um, uh, all our discussions about mental health and uh, like the church has such an opportunity now post-COVID to be there for children um, uh, uh, to, to have trauma-informed ministry um, but also minister into the places where children and young people are um, with um, therapeutic uh, trauma-informed practices and be a beacon of hope from that point of view. So I think I think there are pockets of society that maybe uh, would um, uh, go along with John Paul but I think there are others that, but I think uh, having earnest prayers that uh, then we would see an, another generation or a new generation that has uh, done things that ha we haven't seen uh, before or experienced things that we've not experienced before is really, really important. I would argue that we're all, I hate this, I, I'm going to say this badly, so don't jump on my words, but I think in some ways we're lagging behind society and our value of children within the church. Um Sometimes, you know, I look at our young people and I think at school, they're empowered, they're invited into leadership places, they're told to take responsibility for their lives and their actions, they're um, told that, you know, they're, they're inspired to pioneer and to do things, and then they come to church and we're like, you can help with the, you know, AV rota, but not be responsible for it, but you can come and sit next to the person who is, and, and we see them and em employ them as less powerful than they are encouraged to be in the world around them at school at at church and I, that always breaks my heart that that to me we have the chance to look at them and say we see you and value you and encourage you to be everything that god has created you to be um with everything that god has called you to be and to be a part of this amazing mission and yet we we often set them aside and disempower them in a way that the the world has been pushing them forward and we've been holding them back. It's been a, a real challenge for me to look at that. Yeah. I mean, you guys, it just feels so in, instinctively right, so much of what you're saying and the challenge so kind of needs to be heard. Um, Rachel, perhaps we could come to talk then a little bit, not just in critiquing the church's need to rethink perhaps how we make disciples of young people but i know you've written books on um, helping parents raise children for a life of faith and you mentioned there that parents are often scared they don't quite know what to do what's expected of them or should they just try to repeat what happens on a sunday in their homes what would be some of your encouragement and advice and support to parents who are because yeah, again we, we would say that the primary responsibility for discipling young people rests with the parents not with the children's minister, no matter how much you pay them. <laughs> so how do we how do we help parents grab hold of that and see that as a worthwhile vision for their parenting? Uh, yeah, I think it's really important that we begin to encourage this with parents. Um, I, I read a book called It Takes a Church to Raise a Parent because I think there is a really interesting interplay between churches and parents. Uh, because if the church has become in people's heads, the expert, uh, then then it's this really empowering thing as an expert that we can do to say, actually, you've got this and we believe in you and we're for you. And so I often talk about with parents need vision and they need skills. And often our default to give vision is to say, um, is to say like, you can, you too can 
gather your four children around a table and read the Bible together. And most parents are like, there's no way on God's green earth that I will be able to do that. I will therefore fail. And uh, and we set up the sort of vision of what the model could look like. And I'm much more towards, we need to start casting a vision of what's possible um, for their relationship with God. Um, we need to start telling stories of of children's faith lives and we need to empower the children's voices because once you start hearing a four-year-old talk about how he talks to Jesus about trauma or hear a 12-year-old talking about how she's been interceding for something you think I want that for my kid that's what I want you know if we say all the promises of God are for our children then you know I want my dyslexic child to be able to walk into a, a school test with knowing that God's hand is on their back. Like we need those stories of what, of the impact God makes in their lives. That's the vision to start seeding in. And often I run into church leaders who go, I don't have those stories. And that's something to, to pursue. If you don't have those stories, then find those stories, you know, and get into relationship with people, pursue those things. So we can start telling stories and empowering children to tell their own stories of a life filled with Christ because that's the motivation to then learn the skills to do it. And then parents need the skills, not skills to how to do a thing, you know, how to, how to do a Bible study, how to do those things. They, that could be helpful, but most of the skills that I try to equip congregations and parents to do is things like, how do you create windows into an authentic life with God? How do you say, I'm really struggling because grandma is sick and we've been praying for healing. And I haven't seen her healing yet. And that makes me sad sometimes. And when I'm sad, I tell God, I'm really sad that you haven't healed her, God. But I see that you've called us to pray. So I'm going to keep praying. How do we live that? Because I don't think it's natural anymore to talk about the ups and downs of life in front of your children. Because we think we've got to show them that Christianity is great. And um, how do we actually live that authentic life in front of them and let them have windows? How do we frame for them where we see God in difficult things like terrorist attacks and in media? How do we uh, help unwind the wrong views of God that they get because they're interacting at school and life and friends? How do we walk along how they see God so they can want to encourage him? So I teach five key tools to parents that are those kind of things. How do we do that? And as congregation members, as leaders, we can drip feed those skills. We can integrate it into services. We can give parents the confidence to say, I don't need to be perfect at this. I just need to commit to walk alongside my kid be so that they can have the fullness of life because I know what that might look like. And I know that just me being me imperfect, I can help them find their path with God. And that's that's the approach to have uh, with parents. I mean, presumably there's been studies done, have there, on what it is that's really necessary to help children adopt a yes. faith for themselves as adults. Um, what are some of the what are some of the kind of findings from that that really make an impact on a child's faith development? Yes, James can quote things better than I can quote, uh, but the loads of, of studies. Um, Owen Mark did a a survey of uh, over 50 studies on the discipleship of children. It's called the Theos Report. And uh, and predominantly, it's an engaged parent uh, who, is, um, who is proactively discipling the child's journey, to walk alongside the child's journey. So a, ch a parent who's open, a parent who is um, not focused on information, but on helping a child find their own path with God uh, and a church community who supports, encourages and, and, and releases them. So it's about being 
um, surrounded by an intergenerational community. A book called Sticky Faith talks a lot about the importance of having other adults, not your parents, involved in an intergenerational web around children uh, and having them engaged in a church community that's wider than themselves. Sort of all of those, those factors of a, of a child being treated as a disciple, family around them who is proactive and confident, and a church community who integrates them uh, so that they can stay connected in. James, do you want to jump on in with anything? Jump yeah, in. no, I like if anybody wants to read about a bits and pieces, like I would kind of uh, Dale and Mail. Um, I can only remember them because they rhyme. Uh, <laughs> well, they they Dale have to, and Mail. Dale and Mail is the sur, is the surnames of the the oh. authors. Um, uh, they um often uh, do work particularly for the Church of England, looking at um uh, the status of faith. Uh, um, every couple of years, they kind of pull out a, a paper again, which is always really interesting and again um the same uh, same things kind of come up that um uh, the, the faith is declining but there are pockets um of good practice and actually those are are, are swelling pockets etc etc sarah holmes's work um i wish i could remember the name of her, her website but um she's based at liverpool home but she did a, a whole load of really interesting studies in around her uh, covid and uh, the impact of the pandemic um on uh, her children family health faith and discipleship and again it's those threads of um it's really important to talk and spend time with one another that comes through her work and so it's like we can invest a lot in shiny um lights and um curricula and stuff like that but that for me that those core pro principles um are, are of talk and relationship um are, are those are the things that um um are, are really important that the fact that the child knows that they can ask any question and nothing's off um the topic but also then reading the word together inspires questions and so going through um uh, going through those questions that the ch children raise I, I do a little kind of session about actually you don't need to buy a, a curriculum for several hundred pounds you, you you just need to listen to the children and if you got all the questions you put from one session you've probably got a whole year's worth of planning uh, there let's explore all of the questions that these children have or even just let it go in the session like that i i i'm on Sundays doing a lot with our years six and sevens and eights uh, and I'll plan something, but you get about five minutes in and we're off on a thousand different questions of things. And that has become so joyful. It's just, you know, 45 minutes of trying to decide and answer and how you answer these questions and what does that look like for you? And uh, I think sometimes if we are still in the, it's my job to put information into your head, that feels stressful. Otherwise you're just sitting in a room with a bunch of disciples who have questions that I can answer and not answer, or we can call somebody who's smarter than us and find it out. And there's a, a real joy and relaxation to just following the questions where they go and have the conversation of what pops up in your mind. Um, so many times when you're trying to deliver something, you try to shut down questions because you're like, I have a teaching point, but just to come together and to teach a little bit until there's something that comes up that the conversation wants to be about is a, a really great thing to do. Yeah, and I think, I mean, if we're trying to establish genuine faith and connection between a child and God for themselves, then the way that occurs is by inviting curiosity and exploration, 
not by just telling them this is the narrow lane within which you have to stay because we know don't we when we're discipling adults or just even in our own life like uh, giving people the freedom to just ask questions and not know the answer to those questions is part of how we are then invited into exploration of those questions throughout our life in a meaningful relationship with God um, and I think sometimes yeah with kids we feel the pressure more so than with adults perhaps but we feel the pressure to have the answers to all the questions rather than just saying I mean, whenever my kids ask me a question, I'll try to avoid answering it and just say, well, what a great question. Let's have more questions like that. Um, you go away and think about that because <laughs> that's a brilliant question. Oh, so, um, so often we start off asking about um, how our weeks were. So, uh, and then is there anything that we can help with um, just as our kind of starting point? And then if this is, is the second or subsequent week, we ask... Um, did you do what you said you were going to do? Um, uh, uh, and did you tell um, who you said you were going to tell? Uh, then we read the scripture. Normally, in three different types, uh, uh, three different versions, and there's some so many beautiful versions. I really love um, uh, both the NLT and the Passion um, for working with. Um, children um i th- think the jesus story bible is also amazing and, and and can cause deep revelation that just makes you weep for days when you um just um yes um well done sally um <laughs> so reading can i just interject here also that those those when we think about what's good for children it's also good for people with less educational backgrounds some illiterate backgrounds i think sometimes we say children but it's also accessible to to mm. other people and too. i think for anyone who's become over familiar with jesus's parables so they become dead and, and actually anything like sally's work um I like that we're going on first name terms with Sally now as well. Uh, Sally's work that kind of <laughs> it just shows the truth in fresh ways through the lens of the gospel. Sorry, James, carry on. Definitely. So um, we read it three times. We shut uh, the scripture and we try and retell it together as a whole. And sometimes um, this is where maybe the resources can come out. And I, I would um, uh, have just a um, box of um, spare parts or wooden shapes or bits that we've kind of foraged and we, we kind of try and retell with those bits. Not everybody's into that kind of thing. So we can just use our voices um, or uh, and just retell together. And being people with story is so important for who we are. And so actually retelling the story together is a really powerful moment. Um, and then we reflect on what does this tell me about God and what does this tell me about people? And often there are some nice kind of little overlaps there that we can explore together. Um, really simple questions. And then we ask, um, if this is really God's word, what am I going to do? And then if, uh, we have a moment of kind of what is the response and sometimes when we've got children in our groups actually it's really helpful asking follow-up questions like so where do you find that in scripture and let's open it again and like let's try and ground what it is that you're going to do in what we've read um so it we're not telling them what they should do but we're kind of drawing them back um because sometimes you do get the curveball that you're like Okay, right. Or or the generic. Well, this week I'm gonna pray. Um, <laughs> like, 
Right. Okay. What kind of prayers are we going to look at, or uh, what what else are we going to do? And then who am I going to tell? So which people, uh, and being um, ready um, uh, to to be the per- person that can tell um, the um, uh, uh, what we've been reading together as a group is uh, somebody without faith is really important. Um, amazing and and then yeah uh, that 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 is the simple structure and and so we don't as church we don't have a sermon or a preach or anything like that our worship is often um exceptionally is simply basic but with that the principle of actually if we are going to radically see um this nation come to know jesus can we afford to do it the way that we're currently doing it but that was exactly what I think this is something, particularly for us in a church planting movement, who are passionate about church planting. You know, I travel all around the country and work with lots of different denominations. And the thing that, that binds people up and when you think about planting a new church is how do we start children's ministry? And when do we start children's ministry? And we want to value the kids. So should we do that? And then how do we get volunteers when there's only 24 of us? And I think there's, there's something about one, if we want to see revival and, you know, a thousand people are going to show up at your church tomorrow. I don't want the agony to be, we have no idea of how to get children's, how do we put them all in a room? Our building isn't big enough. And so there's something of, if we're passionate about highly rep, replicating something if we're passionate about saying there's a place there let's church plant if we're passionate about raising disciples who can disciple then then creating a model where everyone can be skilled to disciple everybody in the room um, without needing to think how do we provide children's ministry for this i think is a really big question for us particularly as a movement um, because i think if we say oh that's a special skill intergenerational is a special skill that we need someone to do then we're not enabling disciples who can raise disciples who can throw everybody in a house church and and disciple everyone together i, I think it's a big uh, important thing for us to get our brains around james i just love you i just i mean i, I love what you're saying i just sit in here thinking just imagining my kids sitting down with other people and their kids to do this bible reading and questions and i can't get them to sit still for longer than two or three minutes so we're a church we've like we find ourselves just over overcome with you know 30 boys under 11 just wanting to play football all the time the thought of getting some of those together to sit in a room and have these discussions i just i lack help Help my faith, James. <laughs> what do you do to, to facilitate an environment where, where children will sit with adults and discuss this sort of thing? I think environment is really important. So thinking about how you're going to structure... Well, A, I'm not going to say that our Sundays aren't noisy, because they are. And B, I'm not saying that those that can't read um, are engaged as much as those that can. Um, but I think what's really interesting is that actually we're, we're shifting the responsibility um, from me being responsible for your faith as the children's worker to you, child. Actually, if you <laughs> did you do what you said you were going to do? Um, have you told who you said you were going to tell? You're responsible um, for your faith. I'm not telling you what you're going to do. You decided what you were going to do. So ownership is really important. That links back to the agency bits and pieces. But creating that favourable environment um, is really important. So actually, one of the things that we started off doing was trying to do lots of different groups that didn't work because there was too much noise so um 
one table uh, is my biggest way that um works. So actually, if we're all sat round together so that we can see each other, that's really important. And sat around a table, not just sat around sofas. I think sat around a table is really helpful because it, um, it's a good resting place for the Bible. Um, um, uh, and uh, we can do scribbling notes or uh, writing at the same time. Sometimes we actually just write on the table because it's um, got plastic on it and that's fine. Who owns the environment? Who's doing the packing away and the setting up? Because actually, it probably should be the children if it's their environment. That's really important. Like, does somebody come early and get all these boxes out and put it all out? And then does somebody stay away um, afterwards and have to pack it away and it's all a nightmare afterwards? Um, Making sure that there's a clear, organised environment is really, really important. And then uh, setting high expectations as well as actually this is what we're going to do and i think narrating kind of uh, the, the the kind of where we're going next and, and what we're aiming for is really important but actually um grace and courtesy was a f- fundamental part of the montessori curriculum and she believed that you could learn that from actually creating the right physical environment that actually if the physical environment was something that we all really really loved um then actually it's something that we would all really really respect and that we'd um respect all of those that are in there so uh, it's not easy when you're trying to change a culture or uh bring in new practice but i think having high expectations thinking about actually how do you facilitate the right environment for for this to happen i think that that's really important i think there's something really crucial in in what james is saying is that i think our children in church environments have have been taught and therefore have embraced and now have an internal culture of the fact that this isn't for them so they show up and and they're they're like this isn't for me this is an adult thing i'm either waiting for my bit or Uh, or this whole thing is just something I have to endure and so they're already disengaged when you walk in and so for me when you're changing a church culture there is what you change from the front but you could do the best most accessible service but if you have a culture within your kids of them shutting down disengaging and not this being for them then then it can get quite sad because you're like we're trying but they're not because there's been a culture that for the last their whole lives has been in and they've got to experience this new way of being seen and valued and heard and being a part of something and that it's not for them they don't show up and it's you know their job is to participate and so that does take a journey for children it's not just we put on a new environment and their behavior instantly changes and i think it's value as well like again without trying to be controversial how much value do we all put on the sunday school or sunday provision or are we really trying to check them in uh, the quickest via church suite so we're going to arrive a little bit early so that we've logged them in and so that we can just shoot them off into the room uh, and go and get my coffee and, and sit down and listen um uh how much value are we placing on that church and uh, that child's experience of church? Um, I think that that is a, a big challenge as well. And how do we show value uh, to that? 
And one of the weird things there is when you separate people off out, you've got that disconnect. So the classic parent response or carer response after Sunday is, so what did you learn today? <laughs> and then you've got children look at the ceiling and like, oh, I was expected to learn something. I mean, I had a biscuit, I had a really, really heavily diluted squash. Um, <laughs> But other than that, I've got a blank here. Um, and well, similar if the parent, if the child was to ask the parent, "What did you learn?" <laughs> <laughs> um, so actually, one of the the beauties of doing something like DMM together intergenerational is actually you all hear what everybody's. You're all learning the same uh, thing, and you're all applying it specifically to you, and you can all kind of keep each other accountable. Shared experience is really powerful. Well, there we have it. What did you think? You know, the question, how do we make a disciple of Jesus, is a really important question for us to keep on asking. Not least because it's the Great Commission, of course, but also because it's not something that you can easily pin down or programmatize or just copy and paste from one person to the next. I love what James says. He said, relationship and talk are two foundations of what good quality ministry to children looks like which is true, but I think you could say the same thing just more broadly or generally about how we disciple people, which is actually James's point, isn't it? That children aren't a separate category of people that need to just be siphoned off from the, the overall community. That was a big take home for me. How about you? I'd love to know what you thought of the conversation, if you liked it. You can get in touch with me by emailing podcast at newgroundchurches.org. I'd love to hear from you. Also, please do subscribe, comment, rate and review however you can to help us get this content out into the hands and ears of more people. Well, as I said at the start of the episode, information about James and Rachel and some of the books and resources, along with the questions that James talked about, the discovery Bible study questions that he uses, all of that information is in the description to today's show. But also something they shared with me afterwards is that if you haven't got time or capacity perhaps to do an entire master's or a degree, you can sign up and take specific modules from CYM. Rachel said that she's just about to do a four-day module on intergenerational ministry and the theology of childhood, which to me sounds amazing, and I'm going to be checking that out. But why don't you go to www.cym.ac.uk for more information about the work and training that they provide. You'll also find contact details there for Rachel and James if you wanted to get in touch with them further. They do consultancy in churches, helping us all think through how we can better make disciples of our young people in our churches and provide and become and be the kind of churches that do that well well that's all for today thank you so much for being with us i hope you are blessed by it and you feel stirred provoked and stimulated i look forward to being with you all again soon god bless goodbye